0: All right, so we're, uh, we're continuing our study, through uh, call, and I'm calling it a blessed life. So I want to take us back from a month ago of the things that we talked about in terms of last session, and that would be the nice uh, launching pad into what we're, what we're going to talk about today. So again, reminders. Uh, first one is that blessedness is a state or condition by virtue of our relationship of faith in Jesus Christ. This is, this is very radical thinking. Okay, Not that anybody would ever think of anybody in this class as being radical, but that is a radical thought right there, because most people think today or associate blessedness with material blessings or with prosperity in your life or happiness or or everything in life going exactly the way you want it to, that that would be the evidence of blessedness. But that's not the way that the scriptures present it. The scriptures look at it as a state of or a condition of your life that comes by virtue of the fact that you are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the difference. So when we think in terms of the, the material blessings or relationship blessings or happy things that happen in our life, we certainly uh, we, we certainly welcome those. We're certainly glad that they're there. But you can't count on those things in life. There's a lot that happens in life that would be just uh, diametrically opposed to all that. Would be just the opposite of that. And so then the thought is, well, then do I go through this uh, state of life where? I have a blessed life, and then I don't have a blessed life, or I have an unblessed life. I mean, what is that? So again, it's this idea that by virtue of faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and the grace that he bestows on us as a gift, that's what gives us this sense of being blessed. So the purpose of being blessed is what? Is to be a blessing to other people. So it's not just this idea that, oh, oh, we're so glad that you're blessed. Thank goodness you're being blessed. Oh, I'm being blessed. It's the blessing that is in that relationship that I have with him is intended to be a blessing to others. And where we get that uh, sense of that is all the way back in the book of Genesis when uh, God went to Abraham and and said, here's what I'm going to do for you in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and what you will be what? A blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So one of the things that sort of occurs to me as I, as I look at those verses is that he says, I will bless those who bless you. That suggests that there is a local blessing that we have the opportunity to be in our lives each and every day, a local blessing. But then he also says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, we know, because we know the rest of the story, obviously, that what the biggest blessing of all that came through uh, Abraham's lineage was the blessing of Jesus. We know that. But when we think in terms of our own lives and our own walk with Jesus, that there is not only a local blessing that we that we can offer, but there's also universal. That you never quite know what is the. Uh, they came out with this a while back in terms of the internet, and they called it the degrees of what was that? The degrees of <laughs> what 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 is that? Where yeah yeah what now what does that mean? I need somebody that has tech information here. Yes, what does that mean? degrees of so
1: seven degrees like seven people like you start with someone and then they know someone and you're supposed within seven people and be able to get back to someone who knows
0: Kevin. Yes, there you go. <laughs> or throughout the whole world. I mean in that in that kind of the way it works in terms of the internet now is that you could post something um, and then good or bad, whatever it is, and that how long does it take to be broadcast throughout the whole world. So you think of that in terms of a universal blessing that you could be. So I heard something on the radio this morning as I was driving in, and they were talking about this idea of think before you speak, think before you act. Now you know what they've added? Think before you post. (laughs) (laughs) Which nobody does, right? Nobody does. We're way more mindful of each other when we're face-to-face with each other, aren't we? You know? But boy, oh man, you think about the stuff that people put on the internet, or before the internet it was emails, you know, whatever it was, think before you post. Wow, that would be a good thing to carry with you into the, into the new year. So local blessing, think of it that way, but also think in terms of the opportunity to make some sort of blessing difference uh, universally. Number three, the condition of blessedness creates a mindset of abundance which trust that what God gives is enough even if you experience scarcity or deprivation. We're going to kind of hit that uh, hit that again today. So it's the idea that when you know you're in the state of blessedness, then the way that you look at everything you have or very little that you have, you look at it differently, right? Because what happens is, is that you see that what God gives you is intended to be a blessing, not just to you, but to other people. But if God hasn't given it to you, then he is protecting you from something, okay? That's why I haven't won the Powerball yet, because (laughs) I'm convinced that my personality would change. I would no longer be the humble person I am, and I would... (laughs) I would start to become bigger than life. I, I would, you know, I, I it would destroy me. So, thank you, Lord, for for, for that. He keeps me from going into Seven Eleven and buying a scratch off ticket. So that's excellent on His part. But and we're teasing that a little bit. But but isn't that right? It it's a it is a different mindset. One of the things that happens with bl- with blessedness, and we'll hit this today, is that when you're in that state of blessedness your gaze is mostly upward to God because you're living your life in such a way that you're grateful for what God is doing, what he has already done, and you're not really thinking so much about a sideways gaze. We get ourselves in so much trouble spiritually when we give in to the temptation to engage in sideways gazing, and we'll talk about that, what that means in terms of the book of James today. The sideways gaze gaze means is that instead of looking up toward God and thanking Him for everything that He's done for us, instead, what I'm doing is like this, and when I'm doing this, what am who am I looking at? What am I looking at? Everybody else. And if I'm looking at everybody else and spending most of my time looking at everybody else, I'm probably not going to be so grateful to God for what he's doing in my life. Instead, I'm going to be looking at everybody else thinking, boy, I sure am glad I'm not like that guy. Or, oh, how come he gets everything and I get nothing? Right? That's what happens with sideways gaze. And that's what happens when we fail to take into consideration the fact that our gaze really actually, ought to be toward God. I need to be focused on what God is doing for me and how I can be a blessing to others. But if my focus is on everybody else, then it inevitably leads to either self-righteous pride or some sort of envy where I'm thinking, boy, I'm getting ripped off because everybody else is getting their cake and eating it too, right? So that's what that's it. And then number four kind of fits with this one. The condition of blessedness acts as a positive lens through which you interpret everything that happens in your life. And we're going to talk about that today. Everything that happens in your life. How do you look at it? How do you view it? What do you do with it? If it's wonderful and you're thinking, oh, this is the best thing ever, what do you do with it? Okay. If it's crummy and you think, oh, this is not what I've been praying for, what do you do with it? And that's what, that's what will take us into the book of James today. So I thought what we would do for our studies in the uh, coming weeks is to focus in on one of my favorite letters. It's, you know, a famous named person, and uh, uh, it's one that, that really has a lot to say about the blessed life. And I want us to work it. I know we've probably gone through this book other times in, 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 in our studies But that to look at it through the lens of what is James teaching us about living that blessed life? What does that mean? What does that look like? What's the practical application of it? So that we can then not only grow in our sense of, of okay, this is what it's like and this is where we go with it. But actually that we can uh, grow in our own sense of being blessed no matter what it is that uh, life uh, throws our way. Okay, so let's start with. The first verse is uh, sort of James' introduction of himself to, uh, to his readers. And so he begins by saying, James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So who is this James? It's pretty well thought and accepted that this is the James that was one of Jesus' disciples, the uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, uh, kind of guys. And that after the, uh, uh, the mass conversion of, uh, Christians at, uh, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, remember that day, 3,000 people come and they're like, boom, uh, they, uh, are received into faith through baptism. And so you have an instant church. If you ever want to have just like instant church, that's the way to do it is uh, have the Holy Spirit descend on everybody, and boom, there you have instant church. Well, now they have this instant church, and what are they going to do with it? Because the church now is made up of people that are Jews and Gentiles. A lot of them were uh, in poverty. Some of them were had, had wealth. What are you going to do with it? Uh, and then we know from the book of Acts that what happened was, eventually, was a guy by the name of Saul started to do what? Started to uh, worked some persecution uh, of uh, of Christians, and so people scattered. And so who is going to be sort of the lead guy in this church in Jerusalem of those that were there? Well, it was James. James became the first bishop, if you will, of the uh, church in Jerusalem. And eventually he then was martyred. So it wasn't a very long time. Uh, tenure that he had, but nonetheless one that uh, was, was extremely important. So again, it's the, the, the James, the letter of James is written as a sort of letter of encouragement, encouraging the people to keep the faith, to hang on to their faith in Jesus, to realize that no matter what happened in their lives subsequent to their conversion, they are in a state of blessedness and they can, uh, can, can be happy about that. So now we get to verse 2. This is one of the hardest verses there is in the Bible, and that's why it's good that we're talking about it this morning. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All right, consider it pure joy. That word consider, okay, I've got some notes here for you that that kind of put this uh, a little bit in a sense of detail. So when he says consider, what he literally is saying is take the perspective or choose to interpret it as an outgrowth of the condition of blessedness. You think of it in in this way. When the trials of life come upon you, come upon us, right? Do we welcome them or do we want, want to run away from them? What's your pleasure on that? How many of you like to be tried? how many of you like to be tested how many of you like to be persecuted criticized you know all those kinds of things trials right no none of us does the, our instinct is to want to run from them to avoid them or if you can't just simply self-medicate them right I mean isn't that kind of what ends up happening for a lot of people yeah right the trials of life are not are not the easiest thing in the world to deal with. But he says, "Consider it pure joy." Now, what? Who in their right mind is going to consider it pure joy? And what would it take for a person to be able to do that? How is that possible? Hmm. That's great coffee today. That's the answer. Just good coffee that will cure everything. All right, let's talk about that. Joy, chorus, is a gift which comes through faith as opposed to a quality that you and I can generate. So James is encouraging us to lean on chorus even in the strain and the pain of many trials. All right, so let's talk about the different ways of trial. So we we'll go to the second page. In terms of the way that trials come to us are trials of many kinds. So some trials involve additions to your life because when we think in terms of of trials oftentimes they uh, uh, they're a part of some change that you're dealing with right so if you have some additional things that are added to your life, that is in fact a change. Can you think of an addition that on the surface would be a wonderful thing and then later you'd be going, why in the world did I think that was a good thing? Can anybody think of one? Yeah, sure. Oh, having a baby. Oh my goodness. I don't think I would have said that. All right. Well, okay. Let's just put that up here. Having a baby is so wonderful and cute and innocent and, and not capable of sin, right? Until when? Two or three. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Okay, so that's an addition. What about, you know, one, one of the things that uh, people often talk about is uh, a windfall. People that don't have enough will say, "Oh, if only I could win the lottery. If only I could be a millionaire, then everything would be wonderful." And yet, we read stories, don't we, on accounts of people whose lives were utterly destroyed by the fact that they uh, that they had this windfall. I've known churches that suffered, were suffering financially. I mean, they probably weren't, but they thought they were. And then somebody died and left a you know million bucks in the will or whatever it was. And and all of a sudden this church that was so unified in all of its uh, uh focus and priorities and people getting along were now at each other's throats because it was like, what are we how how are we gonna spend that money? Well, we need a new roof, we need a new organ, the pastor needs a raise, which of course I would go for anytime. And you know, it's all those kinds of things, right? And so it's like the the, the addition of something is on the surface the most wonderful gift and blessing but sometimes it turns out not to be that, all right? Now, most of the trials of many kind in terms of, of changes that we uh, most often uh, associate with difficulty is lo- are losses, right? Uh, obviously, death would be a good example. Uh, Plans blowing up in your face. Um, The way things are turning out compared to the plan that you had. Okay, any of those kinds of things would also be uh, associated with losses. How about retirements? Nobody wants to talk about that today, (laughs) do they? (laughs) At some point, we're going to. Yeah. It depends on your perspective. It does. You can think of it as a loss. Yeah, it is. Or you can think of it as an addition. You could. It can go both ways, yeah. yeah. Yeah, all of a sudden it gets real quiet. And, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Arm it. No, no. Retirement is not. Retirement is not. It's, it's a, it is a loss. It is a loss, you yeah. you got to face it, you a got to grip it. It yeah. doesn't
1: matter what your attitude is. Yeah. yeah. you've got something, you're in control, before you important to people, and then boom, it's
0: gone. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I've had people tell me who have already gone before me in retirement is the uh, loss of relevance? Does that make sense? For those of you that are retired, maybe you know a little bit about that. Is that you? You? You go from being relevant, to maybe in your own mind, but but nonetheless, you know people say, "Well, I mean," but people say, "Oh, you know, you being with us has been the best thing ever." Okay, um, that's relevance, right? And so then the hardest thing is to go from that to either being irrelevant or less relevant. That's the thing that I talk to about people with. Um, if you have a plan of what you're going to do in retirement, which I do, um, and already have the mechanism in place to be able to do it, then there's the the relevance will change. It will change from being primarily focused in my work here at Messiah, and it will go uh, larger in terms of church worker counseling. So,
1: yeah. I don't don't see it as a loss. I I just think, you know, when I was working at the bank, I knew that there was an end coming up. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know what God had in store for me. Uh But He sent me to middle school. Yeah. It was fabulous. Yeah. And and then as I approached. I'm not going to middle school. I'm not (laughs) (laughs) going to. There is a certain amount of age difference that makes you a little bit less. Yeah touch. But I just knew that God was going to give me something else
0: today. So see, I do think that 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 perspective is part of what this idea of blessedness is. Is that God? God took me this far. God took us this far, and then what? He's just going to stop taking us at that point? No. He just he has a little different path uh, laid out and intended. But always with any change, whether it's an addition or it's a loss. Um, we feel it, right? We grieve it. We we feel a little discombobulated, like, well, what are we going to do now? What am I going to do now? And uh, for a lot of pastors who retire, the hardest um, moment of retirement is Sunday morning. Because for most of us who have been doing this for a lot of years, which I have over 40 years, um, which is like, phew, boy, who does that for any length of time like that, is... Uh, is that your whole um, your whole week is geared towards Sunday, because Sunday always rolls around. No matter what, you can have the, the worst or the best week ever, and then you go, oh, wait a minute, it's Saturday night, jeez. And so Sunday always rolls around. Well, then when you retire, what are you going to do on Sunday? Jeez. So anyway, um, I'll be floating we may as well talk about this now, right? Should we just talk about it? Who well, brought this up, right? right. Um, I'm going to float. Um, keep, we're going to keep our membership here, right, at least for a week. And then, <laughs> and then I'm just going to, like, show up. It'll be so amazing. I'll show up, and I'll just, you know, be in the pew and fidgeting and i know what to do and feel kind of undressed, you know, the whole thing. And uh, see what it's like to be just like a normal, normal member here. So that would be weird. And then we'll float. Um, I've got some churches in uh, the district that I have to go visit. Um, partly because uh, when you work with church workers, it is a good thing to be able to go to their place of what they do and see how they really are, not how they tell you you are, and uh, and that kind of thing. So it'll be a, it'll be an interesting time.
1: Yeah. Well, to your point, though. Testing of your
0: faith produces perseverance.
1: Yeah. So yes, it is a loss. I spent 27 years at the bank, and they they decided to lay me off. Yeah. They laid off the department. Uh huh. That wasn't my choice. Right. It wasn't my plan. It was right. I was getting close 70, but you know that's that. You know, on the good side, though, you're, you're talking about the positive side of negative things that this gives with perseverance and. and and it helps our growth. Yeah, yeah. To that extent, you're you going through the transition. I am, mm-hmm. and I'm having to deal with that. Yeah, and it's it's new. I've never dealt with it in my life.
0: Yeah, there is a discombobulation to it, isn't it? It's like all the rules are different now, and they change, and ooh, don't exactly know what to do. So, how many of you are in the process of retiring or already have? So, see, holy cow, I should be talking to you guys. In fact, you guys should be up here telling me what, uh, what to expect and what to look for. All right. So some of the changes are additions that we experience in life. Some of them are losses that we experience. All right. There's also those that are planned, planned changes. And then there are those that are the unexpected, right? And those are part also... Of uh, the trials of life. It's like, how many of you handle being blindsided well? <laughs> how many of you notice that I do not handle being blindsided well at all? I can cover it up and appear to be like I have it all together and very calm, and people say, oh, you handled that so well, you're so calm, and I'm having an ulcer on the inside of my stomach, and that's that's sort of thing, right? Some of us get trained to uh, handle it that way, but usually even the planned uh, changes are those that are sort of fraught with difficulty because you can't predict everything, can you? You can't, you can plan for stuff, but you can't see, say to yourself, okay, and I know exactly the sequence in which things are going to occur. It just doesn't quite work that way. So we have the trials of life, and what he says about those is to consider it pure joy because what happens is these are actually testings of your faith that are designed to achieve or designed to produce perseverance. Now, think about it from this perspective. What in the world could, could uh, 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 allow you or would motivate you to look at all of these things that occur and come out and say, boy, I am the most blessed person there ever was, that I have all these crummy things happen in my life, some of which I planned and I look forward to, and I can't wait to get up in the morning and do more of it, right? And, and those that aren't. What, what could keep? What could enable you to have that kind of perspective toward all the changes in life that any of us has to deal with? Front table.
1: Jesus?
0: <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Hello. Like the one answer that nobody ever wants to say, but is the actual answer, right? Is this right here. The cross of Jesus. Right? Yeah, somebody once said it this way that life has a way of boiling itself down into the narrows. And then there in the narrows stand Jesus. Isn't that great? That great? Let me say that again. Life has a way of boiling itself down into the air. With all the stuff that you have going on in your life, all the stuff that you think matters and is important and you can't live without, eventually it comes right down to you're standing there and on the other side of that door is Jesus. And when you realize that's what's going on, then that's what comes out of perseverance. Now, perseverance, um, a lot of people think of resilience as another word for perseverance, but we're, we're talking here about perseverance of faith, all right, not, not perseverance in terms of um, um, uh that i can take a lick it. what was that old take take a licking and keep on ticking holy cow how did that come to my mind that was like 1940s what was that is that timex yeah. timex was the one you know, the other guys hammering it you know and all that kind of stuff what was the other one that that i thought was so fascinating when i was a kid was the commercial for big pens how many of you remember the Bic pen commercial they would attach the pen i know Go to Nickelodeon, you'll find this over. They attach a pin to an ice skate, a guy's ice skate. He's skating around. You know, the point was that nothing could stop a big pin. And then what did they do with the big pin after uh, after the ice skating? No, before they did that, they did something else. They put it in the fire. And I thought, oh, gosh, you can have ice and fire, and this pen will keep writing no matter what. That's like perseverance, isn't it? Um, Why did they put it in the fire? Because the ink froze. But when I was a kid, I thought, "Oh man, I gotta get a, I gotta get those big pins. Those are the best pins ever." And what it really was is they they knew that if they didn't put it in the fire, it wouldn't work. So yeah, adult adult awareness destroys all childlike dreams, doesn't it? Isn't that exactly what happens? All right, but isn't that what perseverance is? Perseverance. Now, but he's talking about perseverance of faith, because again, see these these people that were new converts to the faith oh they had this wonderful high of spirituality here they were in jerusalem just to have pentecost and then they'd see the tongues of fire and they hear all this kind of stuff in terms of oh they're speaking in my own tongue and i can't believe it and oh i'm filled with the joy of jesus and then the next day happened and isn't that how it is for us sometimes as christians we have this joy of the hype and the wonderment of all the stuff that's so special to us. And then guess what the next day happens? And what happened to the high? What happened to the parades? What happened to the tons of fire? And I look around and I think, well, you're the same old person you were yesterday, right? I'm the same old person you, were, you saw yesterday, right? What carries us through in terms of perseverance it's Jesus. Jesus carries us through. Because he says, no matter what, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Wow. Even when I'm going through that? So see, some of this in terms of what happens in life is that we discover that when it comes to the trials of life, there are some things in terms of our response to those, to those trials that we can kind of manage. Have you noticed this? is that sometimes there are some changes that we can control, right? They are controllable in the sense that we can manage ourselves and not be crushed or devastated by them, okay? There's others that you, you realize that you have no control or influence over, but you can adapt to them, right? You say, well, that's the way it is. I guess I'll just have to get used to it, to adapt to it, Okay. And then there are those that you can't do either one of those. You're stuck with them. And the beauty of it is, is that none of that matters in terms of perseverance because Jesus is the one standing in the narrows. Isn't that great? So the beauty of that for us is, is that that perseverance has a job to do. And that way, we pick it up then in verse uh, four. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, for such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So perseverance of faith is that I'm going to, it sounds odd to say it this way, because it's not like God needs anybody's permission to do anything in their life, right? But there is a kind of resistance that we put in place or an obstacle that we put up in terms of when God works in our life. So, for example, if God allows a certain trial to happen in your life, and it is a testing of your faith, which testings are designed to draw us closer to God, temptations are designed to draw us away from God, right? But both of those are included in the trials of life. So when God allows those things to happen, then what he's really ha- hoping or wanting to see happen is our growth and perseverance, that we keep coming back, that we refuse to say, I give in and to the devil and that I'm then somehow not going to trust in God anymore. And so he says, the idea is that we would become mature and complete. Now, again, I'm taking the viewpoint here that says that mature and and complete in our thinking about that blessedness, that I'm going to continue to hang on to this promise that I I live in this state of blessedness and that there is nothing in life that can take that away. That's the kind of perseverance that I'm looking for. That's the kind of per- perseverance that I'm gonna hang on to. So he says, if anybody asks wisdom or lacks wisdom, you should ask God. I love this, this phrase in here. God who gives generously to all without finding fault. How many of you have had a, either a single person in your life or somebody who seems to, no matter how much you do for them and give to them, it's never enough? Anybody had that experience? Boy, you guys have perfect lives. Okay? <laughs> okay, there there are relationships that you and I might find ourselves in at different points in life, where the person that you're with, no matter how much you do, it'll never be enough, right? You can do and do and do and do and do and do and do, and then what happens? They'll look at you and say, "Is that all?" Right? That's a hard one to get past. Okay. And sometimes what happens when you're in the position of the giver or the doer, what can happen is is that you just get tired of it. It's like you think, again, how many times do I have to give to you? How many times do I have to do for you? Right? Okay, I know I'm the only one in this room that has that experience. I get that. But here's the beautiful thing about God. That's exactly what we're constantly doing with God all the time. We are always standing there in front of him with our hand out like this. Right? That's what we're doing. And what what does it say here? Oh, let me say it again. God who gives generously to all without what? Finding Paul. God is a giver. And because God is a giver and gives extravagantly to us, he does not get tired of it. In fact... It is an expression of faith to be a receiver of what God offers as opposed to a taker in terms of what God offers. So it is an act of faith, it's an act of perseverance to actually go to God routinely and say to him, Lord, I do not know what I am doing. I need the wisdom that you would offer. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4. Yeah. Did you have a like thought? Job. Like Job.
1: Through every and
0: he went through everything. Yeah, the loss. Yeah. He always looked to
1: Christ. Yeah. He always looked
0: to God. Yeah, he 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 had about 40 chapters of complaining, but you know, basically <laughs> but he didn't in his complaints he never rejected God. Right? He I mean, so it sort of gives us a little bit of a of thought there. Okay, you can complain. You know, we all do. Oh, I protest. You know, I don't like this. Ooh, that hurts. You know, this stuff like that. But, but um, perseverance means that you you keep the faith. You keep the faith. And and the end of the Job story is that God rewarded that, didn't he? He said, "Yeah, I took everything away from you, but now I'm giving you back a hundredfold. So that's that's pretty cool too. All right, let's look at Second uh, Corinthians four. Uh, verse 1, and then 8 to 11, if you want to talk about a sense here of what perseverance of faith is, okay, notice as I read it the the perspective that Paul takes toward the difficulties of life, the trials of life, right, that he's dealing with. He says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. He's not welcoming the crummy things, right? He's not saying, oh, we're so glad we were hard-pressed and, man, it was a blast being crushed and, you know, looking forward to being persecuted. He doesn't say that, right? Does he? No. But he says, with the perspective that blessedness brings, I'm literally able to look at those bad things that happen in life, the trials that happen, even the testing. I'm able to look at them differently, and that difference is what carries us forward in terms of perseverance. Now, one little note here: see where it says in uh, verse one, "We do not lose heart." I looked that up one time because I thought, "Oh, that's a that's a great phrase," but that's a, that's kind of a not the best translation of losing heart. It literally means giving in to the evil one. Oh. Now, I think the reason why they translated um, the idea of losing heart is that the heart, in terms of Hebrew and Greek thinking, in Greek thinking, the heart was, the seat of faith was in your mind. But in the Hebrew thinking, the seat of faith is in here. And the heart is described, the gut is described as the heart. It's like this part of you, okay? And so he's, you're not losing it, but it's not losing it to what? It's giving in, right? Giving in to what? the temptations and the voices and the rationales of the evil one. So that's kind of an interesting little thing there, all right? So he says, when you're in this and you don't know what to do, because whatever is in this is so far outside of your normal life, or you look back in your life and you think, okay, what can I draw on in terms of previous experiences that would prepare me for this? Right? And you go, nothing. I don't I can't read a book on this. I, I can't go talk to somebody about this. What what do I do? What do I do? Then he says, okay, then ask God for wisdom and God will give you that wisdom. Now he might give it in ways unexpected. He might give it in ways that he brings people across your path that never in a million years you would have crossed path with, right? And all of a sudden, what that person has to offer you is like, ding, there's the thing. That was what I needed, right? So God has different ways of of bringing about that, that wisdom. But what he says is, is that when you ask, you have to believe and what? Not what? Doubt. Now, how many of you have ever experienced doubt? (laughs) Oh, two people, great. (laughs) Nobody wants to raise their hand, right? Because we don't want to admit that. We want to say, I am the paragon of faith. I am the person that everyone looks to and says, oh boy, if that guy has faith, I can have faith too. Well, that's baloney. Because we all have doubts, right? So then what does he mean when he says, you shouldn't doubt it doesn't show up as much in the English, but it really shows up in the Greek. It's a pervasive and persisting doubt that causes people to disbelieve. It would be sort of like, let's see, who in the Bible would have done that? Hmm. Satan, in the garden, right? What's well, the very first thing he did when he went to Eve, and she's standing there with the tree, and it smells so good, and... Looks so good to eat. You know, I bet you that fruit had sprinkles on it. <laughs> Man, that would have been great. Yeah. What did? What's what the very first thing that he did? What's the first thing he said? Did God really say? The doubt was there. Boy, he really hammered home the doubt there. And so that's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about this one-shot deal where, you know, every once in a while we'll have these moments in life where we think, is he real? Did did he really, is it it really going to work out? You know, we have those doubts. Of course we do. We're human. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about pervasive. He's talking about committed doubt and with the intent of influencing and leading others to also doubt to the point of rejecting God. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? But what's interesting about doubt is, is that the seeds of it come When I spend more of my time looking sideways than I do looking up. And that's what that double-minded thing is, okay? Double-minded is, you know, okay, I know what God says. I believe in him. I trust in him. But how come? And I'm looking sideways more than I'm looking upward. So let's look at Psalm 73. Because in Psalm 73, David, or whoever the psalmist is, I wasn't sure who it was. could have been David. Uh, probably is, Um, is struggling with this whole thing of how do I keep my focus on God given the realities of my life with other people, okay? Let's look at Psalm 73. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Who are the wicked? In Bible terms, the wicked are those that do not believe. Would be pagan. They don't have to be doing wicked things, but it's just people that uh, did not believe in, They, they would be pagan. What does he say about them? They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. let stuff stop there. This is what happens when you spend a lot of energy looking sideways, right? And notice, what does he say about the people that he's looking at sideways? Is any of it true? This was... Point out to me what is true in terms of his conclusions about the people that he's looking at and comparing his life to. What where's the where's the ad, not true, Let's not use that word. Let's use accuracy. Okay, what 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 would be accurate? Themselves in Do what? Clothe themselves in violence. So every single person who is an unbeliever is a violent person. Violence takes many forms, doesn't it? oh nice comeback all right <laughs> yeah. it does it can be it can be pushback can be some sort of uh you know okay i'll be your friend until it costs me something and then i'll yank the rug out for one of you so it could be all right that's a good point yeah gina I think when it says their, imagination. their imaginations have no limits so that would be accurate could be could believers have imaginations that have no limits <laughs> Did you hear what she said? Yes. Every once in a while, we get curb checked from, from God. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like hip checked, you know, or something like that. You know, bang bang into the walls, kind of thing. That could be. All right. Here's the point I'm trying to make: is when we spend most of our time looking sideways, we we exaggerate the the blessed so-called blessings that they would have and we minimize the negative that they have. We're not looking at it realistically, but we're almost kind of making the case for the idea that how come they're getting all the gravy and I'm getting nothing, when the reality is they're not getting all the gravy and I'm not getting nothing. But that's the perspective that we take, isn't it? When we spend most of our time comparing ourselves to other people instead of looking to God. When you, look at, when you look to God and, and you're thinking, okay, my life is a life of blessedness. Even if I don't have anything, even if you have everything, my life is still a life of blessedness because I'm in a relationship with God through Christ. And at the end of the day, everything that a person has, you're going to leave behind anyway. I've been working with some families that are in the process of moving from a 3,000-square-foot house to 900-square-foot <clears throat> assisted-living apartment. You want to think you can't take it with you, hit you home then? I mean, that's not even at debt. but major change in life. And then the bummer of all bummers, their kids don't want anything. The stuff they have saved forever in their garage, stacked up in the boxes to the ceiling that are written on there that say, for our son, for his wife, for oh, they will love it. I've, I've, I've hung on to these things forever just for you. And what do those ungrateful, unwashed children say? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want any of that stuff. Sell it. Oh, brutal. That's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But, you know, again, see, that's kind of what our, isn't that what our thinking is? Isn't that where we go with it? All right. Well, so let's see what he concludes then Again. On the basis of most of his eyeballs are going this way, instead of going this way, he said, my feet are slipping. Here's what he concludes. Surely in vain, verse 13, surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence." What's his conclusion? Which is what, if, if I give my life over to either pride of, oh boy, I sure am glad I have it better than you, or... You're getting everything and I'm getting nothing, right? That's sideways thinking. What do you conclude? You conclude, what's the point? What's the point of remaining pure? What's the the point of hanging on to faith? What's the point? See, we don't think about that, but that's what happens, is that this leads me inevitably away from this. And I lose my sense of perseverance in terms of faith. He says, all day long, I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I have spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Yeah, that's the understatement. Until what? Now he has a curb check, right? And here's how it happens. He says, "Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground; you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and irregent, arrogant, ignorant." and I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is what? Let's read that together. It is good to be near God. Isn't that sweet? I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell all of your deeds. See, what happens is, and his entrance into the temple is what, or the synagogue, I guess, is what really, because the temple didn't exist yet, but, but he enters into the sanctuary of God. And what happens is he gets an attitude adjustment. In other words, he shifts his gaze from sideways back up to here. And what happens is, is that God fills him with the wisdom to see life as it really is. That, that the way life really is, is that we are in that state of blessedness through faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And not, none, no amount of all of this It'll ding you up, no question. It'll kick you around. That, 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 that's unarguable, right? But what won't change is how God feels about each of us through Jesus. And so that's the message for today, really, that we hang on to that and that we encourage that, and we encourage that with each other. It's not just, oh, I'm sure glad I have that. But when we see each other struggling or see each other uh, feeling pressed down the kinds of things that Paul's talking about in second Corinthians when we see that and we and we hear about it we know about it that we can encourage in that faith because that faith is really what that perseverance is about yeah Carl this
1: whole section makes me think of uh, one more years ago I got I was looking for a better way of investing mm-hmm. there was a, a radio program. Christian radio program about financials issue mm-hmm. that focused your investments on biblically responsible investments. Yeah. And you had to give up so a, lot of, a lot of those things that, that were not scripturally based. Mm-hmm. Those that were woke. Uh, you know, good examples like you know, Target. Right. Or or those things that were not biblically scripturally sound. And sometimes it was hard to do. And then that grew into, what about the rest of my life? The people that I do, are they scripturally sound? And and focusing on scripturally based lifestyle, Mm -hmm. uh, it's really a wonderful thing to
0: do. It's not. I was tempted um, a while back to invest some money in... um, uh, marijuana production <laughs> I was I didn't but there was a temptation there to say that you know this is like the hot new thing and and you should get into it and the returns are wonderful and I was thinking but I, I thought yeah there's a lot of other returns that come back off of that return that have nothing to do with profit so it's just it's it it's it can be a mindless thing can't it is that we, we see the dollar signs and we think, oh, yeah, yeah, that would be great. good God would really bless that. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe not, right? Yes. And thank goodness I never did like Bud Light, so that's, you know. <laughs> I always was a Miller guy, so, you know, no skin off my nose. All right, well, uh, we're going to pick it up next week with uh, the next part of James. And as you can see, you know, James is a relatively short book, but we are working through two verses each week, so uh, that should take us, take us a long way. So let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us right where we are, that uh, we all have trials in life, we all have tests, we all have things in life that some of which we can see it coming from a long ways away, and we think, oh boy, here comes the train wreck." And then there's other things that just, just jump right jump right out of their box like a jack-in-the-box. We didn't see it coming, and we're thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. That does not change a bit in terms of the condition that we have with you, this blessedness. So help us, Lord, in those moments of great change, in those moments of, uh, of the trials of life, To turn back to you and realize that life has a way of boiling down to just the narrows. And there in the narrows stands you. Help us hold on to that. Help us, Lord, to grow in perseverance, to stay strong, to be that blessing of strength for each other in the days to come. And we pray those things in Jesus' name.